You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Good. So we're starting a brand new series this morning. And uh, I wanted to just say welcome to all of you. If you're a guest with us today and I haven't met you yet, let me just take a moment and introduce myself. My name is Dave Longstreth. I'm the Arts and Missions Pastor here at Riverside. We're so, good to, uh, so glad to have you here. For those of you who are listening to podcasts this morning, I want to say welcome to you also. And uh, for anybody that has um, either a Windows phone, a Droid phone, an iPhone, one of those smartphones, if you want to grab those and... Download our app sometime if you don't have it already, but if you do, open up your app. We're going to find our notes in there today in our live event. And uh, this brand new sermon series, it's called Broken. Broken Bread is the, is the title of this uh, sermon today. As you can see, I have the, the table set. We're going to be taking communion in, in just a few moments together. But we are all gathered here. We are guests at God's table, His supper table, if you will. How many of you guys say supper, and how many of you say dinner? Dinner? Supper. Okay. Take a look around you when I ask this again. Dinner? Supper. All right. I grew up saying supper. That's what my mom said. If you're listening to podcasts, mom, just laugh with us. Um, But now we say dinner, okay? So I don't know what the real law is, the rule is, but... For us, it's kind of like, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the meal that you eat around 5 or 6 p.m., okay, that's when we eat, is called dinner, okay? And then lunch is that meal that you eat around noon, breakfast, of course, in the morning, okay? And then Sundays, we have breakfast in the morning, and then after church, it just depends on what mood we're in. Okay, sometimes it's dinner, Sunday dinner, it's after church, sometimes it's Sunday lunch, and uh, in the evening, I don't even know what we call it on Sunday nights, I don't even know if we eat Sunday evenings, because we eat a big meal Sunday after church. So, um, I remember growing up, whenever I would sit around the dinner table, or supper table, I'm sorry, at home, and we all had our assigned seats, right? And my dad, okay, so if I can kind of illustrate the table here. Here's the table, okay? Or here's the table, okay? My dad would always sit right here. My mom would always sit right here. And then whenever I was the only child in the family, I would sit right here. But then when my sister came along, well, I don't know about whenever she was in a high chair and all that, if they even had high chairs back then. I don't know. It was so long ago. Um, Okay, and then I moved over to here. I graduated to this place, this coveted place right here, and my sister, she was stuck against the wall, okay, and, um, but nobody ever sat in dad's seat. Now, maybe sometimes I would switch out with mom, it all depended, but dad's seat, he was, this is the king's seat right here, okay? (laughs) So, in our family, we have, we have this, I don't know how, you know, I don't even know how it happened, but we all have our place at the table. It's not like one day I said, okay, Carrie, you're going to sit right there. That's going to be your seat, the queen's seat. The king's seat is going to be right here. That's going to be me, okay? Braden, you're going to be sitting back here by the piano and the piano bench and stuff, okay? And Kylie, you're going to sit over here where there's a little bit more space because you're older, all right? We didn't necessarily say that, but it just happened that way. So once in a while, if we really want to just treat the kids, 
we let them switch up their seats. I mean, wow, we are so generous as parents. And uh, I know you want to be in my family because it's just that awesome. So, so at dinner, we all had our places. And then uh, supper when I was a kid, and we all had this prayer. So my dad was Catholic, my mom was Pentecostal, it was made for an interesting uh, life together, but um, we always did the Catholic prayer, and I didn't even know the words of it, so every day we would just say the words, I didn't even know what they meant or anything, but I would always say them wrong, and then whenever I got older and realized what it was that we were praying, I realized I wasn't even saying the right words, okay? But the prayer was, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ the Lord, amen. And we, you know, okay. So we always did that, every meal, growing up. And I would, I would always just, you know, if it were my turn to pray, it was just like, bless us the Lord, and I guess we're about to receive thy bounty through Christ the Lord, amen. You know, just hurry up and say the prayer, get to eating, okay. Now, um, with my family, now that we're, uh, I don't know, not Catholic, I guess, okay, we, we don't say that prayer anymore around the dinner table. It just depends on who's praying. So sometimes when Kylie prays, she does her prayer. But I always notice she says the same thing about five different times, maybe five different ways, but um, bless her heart. And then Brayden, he's, you know, let's get to the point here. Let's say that prayer and get to eating. And then uh, Carrie and I, we, we try to make it really holy, um, make it a really good prayer. So got to be good role model for our kids. So uh, here's what I want to do here before we get moving. Because we're all guests today at God's table, I want you all to stand with me. And let's all move in towards the center of the, of the room here just for a couple minutes. I know I'm getting you up out of your seat. How dare me? But uh, just move into the center, okay? And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take your picture, okay? So you want to look good. All right, can we turn those stage lights off? It's, it's like messing up my camera lens here. All right. Okay, all right, so here we are at God's table, all right, supper table. Everybody say hi or wave or whatever you want to do for a good picture. Here we go, three, two, one. All right, very good. You can make your way back to your seats, thank you. I'm going to put that on Twitter, okay? So if you're um, on Twitter, the Twitter as they call it, then you can go out to RCC Connect. We have, I think we even have a slide up there that shows us how we're connected on the social media, but... Um, me right here, the dinner table at Oakmont. Tweet. Done. Okay, so I'm in this competition today with the Mills because they've already posted a couple pictures and I, you know, we got we to get it going on down here at Oakmont. So, all right, so let me ask you, you're growing up, your families, what, what kind of traditions did you guys have? Did, how many of you had like assigned seats, even if it were an unspoken thing, but everybody sat in the... And we're creatures of habit, right? And uh, what about prayers? If you had the same prayer that you prayed every meal, okay? How many of you changed it up when you were, when you were younger? Okay, what about now with your families or whenever, you know, maybe whenever your kids were living at home, for those of you who are, are a little bit older than myself, um, how many of you guys had assigned seats? Okay, and uh, the same prayer every night. Or maybe you had three prayers and you just rotated them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that all works. But here's what I want you to do. Let's just turn in our Bibles, uh, and you can, look, like I said, look on your iPods if you want, or iPhones. But John chapter 13, and as you're turning there, um, it's, it's exciting to think about this time when we gather together as a family. It's one of my favorite times of sitting down as a family, especially in today's busy world, right? My kids are involved in so many things, 
And the time that we get to gather every evening to eat is one of my favorite times. That and bedtime, okay? My two favorite times, because I love to sleep. Um, but John chapter 13, 1 through 5, it says this. I'm going to live, uh, read out the New Living Translation. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Like I said, that was John 13, 1 through 5. So they're getting ready for the Passover celebration. This is this annual Jewish festival commemorating God's deliverance of Israel from bondage and slavery in in Egypt. Remember the time of Moses and and all that that great story. So this is what Passover is, is celebrating that, commemorating that. They celebrated freedom from slavery and bondage. But with Jesus, okay, so he's sitting here getting ready to have the Passover celebration. It meant something different from him because he knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's about to give his life and that it's going to change the whole meaning of Passover because no longer are we going to celebrate freedom from slavery and bondage like when from Egypt. We're going to celebrate freedom from slavery to sin, right, and bondage to the things of this world. So there's a few things that I want to point out of that scripture today. First of all, Jesus loves us endlessly. Thank God for that. John 13.1 says that Jesus loved the disciples during his ministry on earth and now to the very end. The time had come to move from the present to the future. The very reason that Jesus came to earth is about to be unveiled for everyone to see. And Jesus was control. He had control of the timing here. His love, it didn't have limits. It didn't have boundaries. It couldn't be measured And despite betrayal and denial and desertion from those that were closest to him, he was still ready to pay the ultimate price for their freedom and for ours. Second thing I want to point out from this scripture today is that we are free to reject or embrace God's love. Judas, his first name was a form of Judah, okay, meaning Jehovah leads, And it's such an ironic name, don't you think? Because this disciple, it's hard to see anybody else in Scripture that was ever more clearly led by Satan than he had been. Yet his name says Jehovah leads. His second name, Iscariot, signifies the region that he came from, Cariot Hezron, a humble town in south of Judea. So he was apparently the one, the only one of the apostles who didn't come from Galilee. His life reminds us that it's possible to be near Christ and associate with him closely, but superficially, yet become utterly hardened in sin because of selfish ambition. That's a little bit scary. I guess you could say in a way that that Judas was a fan of his idea of who Jesus was. But as he realized that the agenda of Jesus and his own agenda didn't match up, Judas must begin to feel differently about how he viewed Jesus. 
So Judah is now clouded by his own selfish ideals. He attempts to manipulate the situation, the circumstances in order to force Jesus into this situation where Jesus is going to have to be this conquering king, right? Because Judas betrays Jesus and has him turned over to the authorities. And I think in a way he's, he's hoping that Jesus is going to stand up for himself and he's going to bring this revolution that this uh, zealot Judas wants him to do. But this attempt, this manipulation by Judas, it shows us that no matter how sinful a person may be, no matter what selfish maneuvers that he or she may attempt against God, the purpose of God cannot be thwarted. Even the worst act of treason against God worked towards the fulfillment of his divine plan. Next thing I want to point out here is that love is revealed in humble service to others. So Jesus voluntarily takes on this role of servant. And in doing so, he humiliates the disciples in their sense of arrogant pride. Luke 22, verse 24, tells us that as they're entering the upper room, that they had been arguing about who was the greatest among them. I don't even understand that. It is difficult for me to figure out, okay, here you are with Jesus, okay, and you believe he's the son of God, right? He's your rabbi, and you're hanging out with him, but you're arguing amongst yourselves, who's the greatest amongst them? It's like, come on. I, I, don't, I don't understand. So the disciples, they need this cleansing on the outside for the dinner etiquette, okay? So they enter into the upper room, and they need, this, they need their hands washed, okay? They need to wash up. They need to be cleansed. But they needed a washing for their souls because they're having these selfish little conversations amongst themselves, pride, arrogance. The external washing was symbolic of the internal need for the spiritual cleansing. So Jesus, he, he does this. He does the cleansing. Now, I would just want to pause for a second and invite those of you who are serving communion today just go ahead and feel free to step out from where you are and prepare. I'll, I'll let you know when we're going to distribute the elements. But John chapter 13, we're going to read on. We're going to start in verse 12 now through 17. It says, After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So imagine yourself in their shoes. Now, I have a difficult time trying to take myself back out of this context of 2015, taking myself back to the time of Jesus and picturing myself in the room. So when I watch movies, I always like picture myself in the role of one of the characters. Does anybody else do that? Is that just me? Okay. Some of you do. Okay. Depending on the movie. Um, so I can't do that very easily with scripture. It's just difficult for me to make that connection. So what I do is I try to figure out, okay, if I want to know how these people feel, I need to do my best here. So I imagine a little situation um, that I'm hanging out with the president of the United States. Okay. Um, 
Maybe for some of you, you don't want to hang out with the president, then maybe you want to hang out with Ben Roethlisberger, okay, or Taylor Swift, Billy Graham, Pastor Bill, I don't know. Um, But imagine you're hanging out with one of these awesome people, okay? So I'm hanging out with the president, and I'm his right-hand guy, okay? What a life, how important I'm feeling about myself, like I'm the man. And then he takes this bowl of water, and uh, he kneels down, and he takes off my shoes and socks and washes my feet and then dries them with his necktie, okay? And um, I'm thinking, whoa, don't wash my feet, Mr. President. I should be washing your feet. But I'm thinking, I'm not as great as I think I am. I'm not as important as I think, as, as I, think I am anymore. But then imagine after all the awkwardness of that moment um, that... I'm feeling this loved. I'm feeling valued, right? And imagine how f- valued you would feel if that were you. So now I try to take that feeling and I put myself in the disciples' shoes. So they're arguing, they're thinking they're awesome, and they're uh, having this debate amongst themselves who's the greatest. Jesus gets up and he washes their feet. Now they're feeling loved, valued. What it must have been like, especially now for us, I mean, 2,000 years later, it's easy to look back and say, wow, the king of kings. I mean, they didn't know that he was going to die and be raised to life. I mean, yeah, there were scriptures there and stuff, but they didn't understand all that back then. But now on this side, we do see that. To imagine what it would have been like to be in that situation. But this is what love required of Jesus. To be a humble servant. So back then, he broke down their hardened hearts. But today, he still breaks down our hardened hearts. Let me ask, what does love require of you? What keeps you from humbly serving others? For all of us, things get in the way of our ability to humbly serve other people. So a small list of things that could get in the way of humble service would be busyness, overcommitted lives, pride, self-centeredness, unforgiveness that's looming in our hearts, a low self-esteem, just plain laziness, not feeling equipped to be able to serve somebody else, fear, lack of confidence, priorities that are in the wrong places. I'll stop the list right there. What does love require of you? What is it that keeps us from humbly serving others? It takes courage, it takes commitment to step away from distractions like these and fulfill what love requires in our relationships with others. So who is it that you can serve today? And as you're thinking about that this morning, I'm going to invite the ushers to distribute the elements. I would like you to hold on to these elements. We're going to take them together. But as they're distributing these elements, we're going to watch a little video. They're going to have a little fun about the word supper like we did at the beginning. Um, But there's a really good point in this video. I want you to prepare your hearts even now um, and just do a little bit of looking inward as you receive these elements. And like I said, we'll take them together, so just hold on to them. It's called the Lord's Supper, and that always struck me a little funny. Nobody eats supper anymore. It's always dinner. What's for dinner? Let's go out for dinner. You know who used to call it supper. 
my mom when I was a kid. Michael! Supper! It was a sound I could hear from blocks away. So I'd head for the house, stash away my bike, and dash on in. you about slamming the door. Sorry, Mom. Okay, go get washed up for supper. So I'd go and wash up, and I could see what she meant. Those hands were dirty, grease and mud, just filthy. I liked it, but Mom didn't, so I scrubbed and I rinsed and I dried. And I ran back to the kitchen where Mom just wanted me to sit still and wait. I could be watching TV or playing video games. Who wants to sit and watch someone mash potatoes? Although, Mom and I did get a lot talked about during those five minutes. Hey, hon, how's dinner coming? Sooner or later, everybody else showed up. And even though she wasn't quite done, Mom would sit down and we could say the blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. Thank you. For Dad's prayers were very family. real. You thank you for we weren't just flying through some ritual before diving into the food. We were talking to God himself. So Dad would ask the Lord's blessing, and then he'd ask my mom to pass the fruit salad. Well, finally we got to eat, and it was worth the wait. Mom put everything she had into her cooking. You could taste it. Although it's surprising I could taste anything, slamming down those huge mouthfuls to get to tonight's TV show. So I'd slow down, a little. And I'd chug down my juice... Wipe a napkin across my mouth and gasp those all-important words. And I'd be free. So that's what I think of when I hear the word supper. Someone who wants me to come home. To wash up. To enjoy being clean. More than I enjoy being dirty. Someone who wants me to sit. Just for a little while and think about my life, how much I'm loved. Some quiet, serious prayer. Passing plates so others can be filled too. Small bites and careful thinking. And those all-important words. May I be excused? And the awesome resonance of the answer. Yes, you may. And being free. So as if washing the disciples' feet weren't enough already, Jesus goes even further. His love requires a larger action. He turns the ordinary into the extraordinary. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29 says this, As they were eating, Jesus took some of the bread and he blessed it, then he broke it in pieces. And gave it to disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks to God. Stating that this was symbolic of how his body would be broken. 
in order to serve us in the way that love required of him. What would our outlook be if we were truly committed to serving each other in our brokenness? When we break bread today, let's make these commitments so that we can join the brokenness of Christ so that God will be honored in how we live out our lives. Instead of feeling too important to be bothered with serving other people, I'm going to make this commitment. Would you make this commitment with me that we are going to be broken like Christ to humbly serve with God's strength? Instead of waiting to have my own needs met, I will be broken like Christ to seek meeting the needs of others ahead of my own. Instead of chasing after recognition for my own efforts, I will be broken like Christ to ease someone else's load with no need for praise. Instead of giving my leftovers to the community that I'm a part of, I will be broken like Christ to give my very best and to serve with excellence. And instead of serving to advance my own cause, I will be broken like Christ to serve in a way that God is honored. So I invite you this morning to make those commitments with me and let's seal our commitment to Christ with each other as we eat this bread together. Thank you, God, for your broken, your brokenness that is a model for us to also live broken, to join you in breaking ourselves down daily to serve others humbly, to serve you and to honor you with how we live our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for being willing to pay the price of what love would need to cost so that we forever can be right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, do you suppose that Peter remembered this upper room moment when he poured, when he penned these words, 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you serve each other with humble spirits, for God gives special blessings to those who are humble, but sets himself against those who are proud. If you're here this morning and you feel like God might be against you these days, It might just be because he is, and I know that's not what we want to hear, but if your heart is full of pride, then your heavenly father loves you enough to discipline you and drive you from that arrogant heart, and I urge you to follow Peter's example here in John 13, 6 through 11, that says, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. 
Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, not just my feet. So Jesus does that, right? He washes us. No matter how prideful we've become, no matter how how saturated in ourselves and what's going on in our universe, Jesus is ready to wash all that away. He did it for Peter, but he does it for you and I as well. He poured out his blood to forgive and wash away the sins of all of us. And no matter what pride you've held on to this moment, hear these words of Jesus now. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. If you're ready to make that decision like Peter did, to have Jesus wash all of you, then let's drink of this cup together. Let's pray. God, thank you for being broken to serve me in the way that love required of you. Thank you for showing me that I too must be broken to serve others in the way that love requires of me. And despite my own pride and arrogance, my own sense of self-sustainability, I realize that without receiving your humiliating act of service for me, that I do not belong to you. I want to belong to you. I want to live for you. I accept your forgiveness. And I ask that you lead me on by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for me. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood was shed so that I may be cleansed, so that my sins, my faults, my failures would be washed away. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what love required, humbly, and for your leading in my life every day. For it's through you and in you that I pray to the one who created me. Amen. So you have a place at the table of Jesus where the bread is broken to remember that his body was broken and to remind us that we too must live broken in order to love others. God loves you and he loves me and he gives us the choice every day to accept, to embrace that love or to reject it because he loves us that much. My prayer is that we would all run towards that love. I want to invite you all to stand with us today as we worship God. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.